Well, good morning again, church. We are in a series called A Biblical World. And what it actually means is a biblical world view. What we're looking at is if, if we listen to Scripture and what it says is reality and how we live in that reality, if that is the view that we had, if that's the, the approach that we took to life instead of the other approaches, the other philosophies that we see in the world, would the biblical worldview be better? Is it more realistic? Would it make a better world? Would it make us better? That's what we're exploring. And so for the last several weeks, we've been camping in the Ten Commandments. And each week, we take one of those commandments and follow it like a trail. And we kind of see where it would take us, where it would lead us. If we obeyed this, if we fully understood what that commandment was telling us and we followed it all the way out, where would that take us? What would that do for us? What, what sort of person would we be? What sort of world would we be? And so we've said before that the Ten Commandments can be broadly categorized into, into two main categories. The first four commands are about loving God and the rest are about loving others. And so we followed those commandments and to see where those trails lead. Because they're all about relationships. That's what's clear is they're all about relationships. Our relationship with God or our relationship with others. So the commandment we're going to talk about today is in that love others category. It's Exodus 20, 14. It simply says, you shall not commit adultery. So let's follow that trail. Let's, let's consider where that goes. If we were people who were absolutely committed to not committing adultery, where would that take us? How would that love others, show love to others? Well, obviously, the first, if, if you're not committing adultery, then that shows love to your spouse. You're keeping your vows to him or to her, and that, that gives them peace about the commitment to them that you made to each other. That, that gives them the stability of knowing you're always going to be there, that, that you're not going to go anywhere. And that, if you think about it and go just a little bit further, well, that also shows love to your children, if you have children, because your fidelity to their mom or dad gives them this, this stable home. And it models for them what love and integrity look like. And your children are more likely to be faithful to their spouses when they see how committed you are to working to be faithful in your marriage to their mom or dad. And that commitment among your kids, that's gonna bless your grandkids. We start following this trail, you realize this is, this is something that we can love generations of people if we follow this command. And because then your family, if you're, if you're not committing adults, your family's not gonna have to absorb the financial torpedo of divorce and the extra expenses of lawyers and, and two homes and restarting. Some of you know how devastating. You've lived that devastation. You know how that can set your entire family back for years and years financially, which is why the Bible says, Deuteronomy 5.29, oh, that you would always have hearts like this, that you might fear me and obey all my commands. If they did, they and their descendants would prosper forever. So this is something that benefits generations, even financially. And when you think about it, as we keep going down this trail, your integrity will bless all the other families around you. This is not just loving the people in your house. 
If you're faithful to your marriage, then you're not causing suspicion or dissension in someone else's marriage. You're not flirting. You're not encouraging sin in their minds. So if you're a person who believes in this ethic, well then when you go to work, you're gonna behave in a way that encourages others to stay faithful to their spouses. You're, you're creating a safe place for the men and women who work with you. Your coworker spouses aren't gonna be nervous about you. They're not gonna worry about their spouses when they're working with you. And that brings them peace. So just like in your home, that's gonna bless that house. That's gonna bring peace to their children in those other homes. Even if you're single, even if you're not married, you can still live this out in a way that blesses others. You can bless others through this command because even if you're single, you're not gonna be the other woman. You're not gonna be the guy that wrecks someone else's home. If you stay sexually pure now, you will bless your future spouse you have not even met yet. You will bless those children who are not even born yet. So when we start going down this trail of do not commit adultery, it's clear that obeying the seventh commandment sends ripples of blessing across your whole family and your church and your community. The, the ways that that would result in loving others is obvious. I mean, this one, this one's kind of a no-brainer, right? I mean, it's pretty clear. The benefits of not committing adultery and staying faithful in marriage are obvious. There are so many upsides to this. In fact, I, I'm struggling to find a, a downside to not committing adultery. So don't commit adultery. <laughs> Easy. That was a short sermon, wasn't it? I guess... <laughs> I guess we can visit among ourselves a little bit. <laughs> Except, you know, that's, that's Exodus 20. That's right here in my Bible. I've got it marked. He says very clearly, do not commit adultery. And we've gone down that trail and we figured out there are all sorts of upsides to that. I mean, why would you, why would you not do that? But if I keep flipping, if I just go a little further, well, God says it again. He says it again in Leviticus 18.20, and then again in Leviticus 20.10 through 12, and then again in Deuteronomy 22.22. I keep finding reminders as I keep going through the scripture. Reminders like this, Proverbs 5.15. Share your love only with your wife. You should reserve it for yourselves. Never share it with strangers. Let your wife be a fountain of blessing for you. Rejoice in the wife of your youth. Scripture keeps bringing up these same warnings about this commandment again and again. Why? It's because people kept committing adultery. Even after God clearly says, do not commit adultery, he has to keep reminding them, don't do this. He's even reminding God's people who knew the Scripture. Because despite all the obvious upsides, despite all the warnings, despite the cautionary examples like David and Bathsheba, why? It's because we keep falling for this. And when we do, there are so many terrible downsides. I'm not a counselor. I'm not licensed for that. And so I don't necessarily do a whole bunch of that. But just, just working in ministry, you're, you know, people come to you or you, or you hear about 
people's struggles. And I have, over all those years of ministry, I've encountered a lot. I couldn't begin to tell you how many marriages that are in trouble. And I've seen the damage. I've seen the fallout of adultery and divorce. And I think you probably have too. But I just want to just read a little bit from an article that I think is such a strong reminder because we need sometimes to be reminded of those downsides. We need to be reminded when we're even thinking about the possibility of this, where that could go. I want to read to you from something that a woman named Wendy Plump wrote. It was a New York Times article in 2010, and the title of that article was A Room Full of Yearning and Regret. And she later expanded that into a book titled Vow that described her marriage and how it ended. And I'm not saying that to recommend the book. I just, I just want to share some excerpts because I appreciate how honest and realistic she is about what adultery really looks like and feels like in the cold light of reality. And just so you know, she is someone who had multiple affairs and who also was the victim of an affair. So she stepped outside of her marriage and then at one time her husband did too. This is what she says about that, those little experiences looking back. So I'm gonna just read this for a little bit here. She said, a couple of years ago, a friend said she was considering having an affair. Start, I suggested to her, by picturing yourself in the therapist's office with your betrayed husband after you've been found out, and you will be found out. What you don't know, or perhaps what you don't allow yourself to think about, is that your life will become an unbearable mix of yearning and regret. It will be difficult, if not impossible, to be in any one place with contentment. Because when you're with your lover, you'll be working on your alibi and feeling loathsome. And when you're with your spouse, you'll be dying to return to your love nest. And when you're at home, everything in your life will look just a little bit out of register. The, the furniture, the, the food in your refrigerator, your, your children, your, your dog, because you've detached yourself from your normal point of reference and now it belongs to a reality that you've abandoned. You'll be pulled between two poles, one of obligation and responsibility, the other of pleasure and escape, and the stress of these two opposing forces will threaten to split you in two. And once the affair is out in the open, you will strive mightily to justify yourself. You'll begin many sentences with the phrase, I never meant to, but one look at the hollow-eyed, defeated form of your spouse will remind you that such a claim is beside the point. You can both get over this, yes. But the innocence will have gone out of your union. And it will seem as if a, a bone has been broken and healed, but one that rain or cold weather can set to throbbing again. And sooner or later, your illicit, once beloved object of affection will become tawdry, wearying. You will come to long for simple, honest pleasures 
like making dinner with your sons or going out to the movies without having to look over your shoulder. And on the other side, if you are the one being cheated on, your spouse's philandering will cease to torment you and instead the whole episode will leave you disgusted and bored and desirous to get out. You will just want to be with someone who does what he says he's going to do, goes where he says he's going to go, and can be found anytime you need him because he's not hiding. I say all this by the way of hope, believe it or not. Affairs are one of the adult world's few disasters that can be gotten over with a lot of time and kindness. It has to burn out of you over months and months, flaming up and then subsiding. A great deal of comfort will come from your friends, many of whom will offer advice. Hate him. Leave him. Move on. That you should listen to politely and then reject. Because after all, the consequences of your decisions will be visited upon you, not your friends. They'll be only too happy to amplify your confusion, listen to you cry, and then get into the car and drive home to their own intact families. I look at my parents and how much simpler their lives are at the age of 75, mostly because they haven't marred the landscape with grand scale deceit. They have this this marriage of 50 some years behind them and it is a monument to success. A few weeks or months of illicit passion could not hold a candle to it. Where would you fit an affair in neatly. If you were 75, which would you rather have? Years of steady, if occasionally strained devotion, or something that looks a little bit like the Iraqi city of Fallujah, cratered with spent artillery? And she ends with this. From where I now stand, it all just looks like a cheap hotel room. Whether you're in that room to have an affair or to escape from the discovery of one. And despite the sex and the excitement or the drama and the fix of everyone's empathetic attention, there is no view from this room that's worth having. Now, she's not a Christian. And so she doesn't say in that article anywhere, be faithful in your marriage because God says do not commit adultery. But she can tell you the same thing, just speaking from the the damaged side afterward, speaking from the pit of all of the downsides. And what she says is, what you lose is never worth whatever you get out of it. Breaking a marriage covenant will break something inside you, and it will damage others always that now that is a biblical stance the book of proverbs promises you will pay adultery is always a losing proposition it always comes back to bite you listen what listen proverbs 6 says for a prostitute will bring you to poverty but sleeping with another man's wife will cost you your life can can a, a man scoop flame into his lap and not have his clothes catch on fire can he walk on hot coals and not blister his feet That proverb says there is no way to not get burned by the downsides of adultery. 
It may be a jealous husband coming after you. It may be how your reputation is trashed or just the look of disappointment in your parents' eyes or your own self-loathing every time you look in the mirror. But there are all sorts of downsides, and they cannot be escaped. You will always end up wounded and poorer. Proverbs 6.32, but the man who commits adultery is an utter fool, for he destroys himself. There are so many downsides, and you cannot escape them. So if, if adultery has all these downsides that are inescapable, and if, and if not committing adultery has all sorts of obvious upsides, in fact, there are no downsides to not committing adultery, then why is this still such a struggle? Why do we get sold this? Why do we believe time and time again that this one time, this one affair, this once is worth it? Where does that happen? It happens in our heart. The battlefield over this, it's our heart. That's why Jesus teaches. When he teaches the seventh commandment in the Sermon on the Mount, he goes in a direction we may not expect. In, instead of what we did and following that trail out and see how that can show love to everybody else, instead of taking that trail, he takes us on a trail inward and downward to our hearts. This is what he says, Matthew 5, 27. You've heard that it was said you should not commit adultery. He's not disagreeing with that. But I tell you that anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. Okay, wait, wait, wait. That sounds like such a huge leap. How, how could he equate a look, a thought, as being the same as adultery? Well, consider, if you never commit adultery, you never, you never are in someone else's bed, you never are in that motel room, but you want to, but you would if the right opportunity came along. But secretly, you like to imagine that. Well, that doesn't sound like someone who's seeking to love God with all their heart, is it? That, that doesn't sound like the sort of husband or wife that God would be satisfied with. And that's the problem Jesus is getting to. When, when outwardly we do the minimum, but inwardly we are fantasizing about how to satisfy ourselves, how, how satisfying it would be to violate God's commands and break the vows that we made before him on our wedding day, if that's, if that's what we're secretly delighting in, that just, that just doesn't square. That doesn't sound like someone who really loves God. I like what a guy named Albert Tate said about that. He said, before you break the seventh commandment, you've already broken the first. If you're even toying in your heart with committing adultery, you have already forgotten that first command about loving God above all else, about no other gods, no other voice having more authority than his. So when Jesus teaches about not committing adultery, Jesus takes us to our hearts to see what's happening there because the heart is the battleground. This is where it is won or lost. The heart is where we're, we're tilting to God or away from God. The heart is where our desires are channeled toward obedience 
or toward sin. And so it's the heart that reveals our true allegiance. It also reveals our health and our wholeness. You know, some people have an affair because they're just, they're exhausted and they're overwhelmed and they're depressed and they, they blow things up intentionally. They just want a way out and they're not thinking clearly about the consequences after. Mark 7, Jesus says this about our hearts. He said, it's from within. It's out of a person's heart that evil thoughts come. Sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery. It's on the battleground of your heart. That is where Satan will tell you, you need something else. You need someone new. You deserve this. You don't want to miss out on this. He's going to try to tempt you with that, you know, the exhilaration. When, it, when a relationship is brand new, when you're just discovering somebody and just how it feels, just that exhilaration at the dawning of a relationship. You say, don't you want that again? I mean, here's your chance. Don't you want that again? Or the, just the excitement of discovering and, and being discovered. If someone else really tuned into you or the satisfaction of, of being desired or of, of escaping those decisions are made before we ever touch another man's wife. Our hearts are already tilting that direction. We're already listening. Before we ever hear that woman's voice or Satan's suggestions, all of that happens in the heart. So the real objective of this commandment is not just to keep us out of somebody else's bed. That, that's the bare minimum. That's literally the least we can do. But the fulfillment of this command is so much more than mere compliance. It's about healthy and whole hearts tilted towards God, seeking God. That's what we keep hearing also. Deuteronomy 10, 12 through 13. And now Israel says, God, what does the Lord your God ask of you? Fear the Lord, to walk in obedience to him, to love him, to serve the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, to observe the Lord's commands and decrees I'm giving you today for your own good. When Jesus was asked, what's the most important thing? Jesus, what's the most important thing I need to know? This is what he came back with, Matthew 22. What's the greatest commandment? Jesus replied, love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment, and the second is like it, love your neighbor as yourself. Isn't it interesting? Jesus doesn't tell us to love our spouse with all our heart. God. To avoid adultery, Scripture doesn't tell us, you know, the secret is just always be completely infatuated with your husband. It's about you find that soulmate, that one perfect person that fulfills you in every way so that you'll never fall out of love and then you won't commit adultery. No. In our relationships, including marriage, it begins with our relationship with God. That's always where scripture takes us. And then when that is right, when we're right with God, then we can love others best. A heart wholly given to God will be a whole, strong, convicted heart that can best love others. Someone who loves God with all their heart, all their soul, mind, and strength is a person who will love you better. Because that person is not expecting things from you that only God can give them. 
That person's going to have the wisdom and the humility to trust God's wisdom. They have Bibles that say, don't commit adultery, and hearts that say, I don't want to commit adultery. You cannot be morally strong and spiritually whole and emotionally healthy without God. I, I fully believe that. So, let's start talking about living this out. What, what do we do? Living this command out, what do we do beyond just mere compliance? Well, first, get your heart right with God. Worship him with all your heart. And don't compromise or miss that piece. That's, that's what we heard just, just a second ago in that, in that scripture. It was about worshiping God with all your heart. Don't compromise that. Don't, don't skip over that. You need to be firmly, actively connected to the church where you will worship. And you'll be encouraged and held, held accountable by other disciples to stay true to your marriage, to focus on what will most bless your kids, where you will hear people who say and believe, do not commit adultery. You need to be around people. You need to be in places that will tell you that. And that's here. That's the church. That's your church family. And if studying God's word and, and seeking him in prayer has not been a priority for you, make that right. Your whole heart needs to be given to him first. Go wholeheartedly to God so you can love your spouse out of wholeness. If you're single, how do you, what's this do with you? If you? Well, if you're single and you want to get married someday, live in a way now that will avoid regrets on your wedding day. Develop that heart fully devoted to God now so you can love that person even better when you marry them. And if you are married, here's what I want you to do. And I want you to do it today. This is something you can do today. I want you to go home and look around and count. Count the blessings and appreciate what you have and protect it and grow it. You know, despite witnessing the, the heartaches of infidelity and divorce many times in my job as a minister, and I've heard these stories so many times, and I've seen the failures so many times, it has not made me cynical or pessimistic about marriage at all. In fact, just the opposite. Those stories strengthen my marriage. Hearing those stories made me go home and appreciate Sherry and cherish and protect my marriage even more fiercely it convicts me to be even more of a trustworthy husband. Those stories have opened my eyes to how precious marriage is, how grateful I should be. Go home and look around at everything that is so precious that you don't want to lose. As I was sitting and writing this sermon, I was in the dining room table and I looked through the door into the kitchen. And You know, the kitchen cupboards up on the, the high cupboards, up above those cupboards, between the top of the cupboards and the ceiling, that's just, that's just dead space. Um, there, there's, there's nothing, you, no one can reach up there, it's just dead space. But I was sitting at the dining room table, and I looked up, and I noticed that Sherry had put some decor up there. And it's just something, so there's some color, so there's some interest, so there's some beauty up in that, dead space so that if someone did come into that kitchen and they happened to look up they would see that well she did that for whoever came into our house but she did that for me too 
And I realized she has packed that much care into every house she and I have lived in, even the little dumpy rentals. For 26 years, she's always put a lot of effort into making it a home. And man, there is no way to put a price on that. There is no way I'd ever want to lose that. I want, I want Sherry to know that if she could open me up and see my heart, she would see that I want her and I am wholly committed to her. I mean, at this point, after 26 years of marriage, no other woman could ever compete with Sherry. She has so many points on the scoreboard because she has sacrificed so much for me and my daughters. She's proven her love so many times and done so much for me day after day. She has totally won me. When you go home today, intentionally look around for evidences of how your spouse has loved you or your children and think about how much that is worth and how much that is worth protecting. That's your homework. And I know that I'm talking to some folks here, not because I know any situations, only because I know that in a room of this size, there's always somebody whose marriage is struggling. And that battle is happening right now in your heart. And you are being tempted. And you're losing that battle to stay faithful. If that is who you are, I just want to remind you what you have here. We've got eight elders who are here for you. Their phone numbers are in the bulletin. Their cell phone numbers are in that bulletin every single week for you. They are here to fight alongside you for your marriage and your family. And if you need help, if you need some encouragement, if you just need to know where to go or how to, how to get some of this back, those guys, I promise you, whatever you tell them about what's happening in your marriage or in your home or in your mind, those guys have heard it before. They're not going to look at you disgusted. They're, they're, they're not going to shame you. They're not going to judge you. They're here for you. We are here to fight alongside you. We want your marriage to work. We want this for you and for your kids and for your kids' kids. And we'll do whatever it takes. If you need counseling, if you need professional counseling, and you can't afford that, you come talk to our elders. We will find a way to get you the counseling you need. I, I know eight guys who will gladly pony up whatever it takes if that's what it takes. So don't fight this alone. And don't lose this one. You don't have to lose this one. We want you and your children and your grandchildren to be blessed by making your marriage as healthy as it can possibly be. I want to pray for us before we have our, our final song. Would you please bow with me? Our Father in heaven, I know that when I open up this topic and when we go down this trail, we get in some painful places for some people. We're going back through some really painful memories, some hurt that hasn't healed yet. 
And so, Lord, I just pray that for everyone here who's hurting, for everyone here who just is such a struggle, every day right now in their marriage is such a struggle. And I pray for those who they're in that terrible spot where they have not been faithful and they have not been found out yet. And I know that Satan is working on them and I know that fear is taking them down to some bad decisions. I ask, Lord, that for them, you breathe into them some of your sunlight and let them see the hope, the hope that you want for them, the hope that they can have. Remind them, Lord, that you came to forgive all sinners of all sin. Remind them, Lord, that we have the Holy Spirit, the most powerful, transforming power available to us. So, Lord, whatever it takes, whether it's in our own hearts or whether it's helping someone else who is struggling, I ask, Lord, that you make us people who love you so we can love others, who speak truth to bring healing, who listen and forgive. I ask, Lord, that however that needs to work, in whoever's heart it needs to work, I ask, Lord, that you start working now. Let them hear your voice above all others. I pray this in the name of your Son. Amen. Thank you for being here. Let's stand and sing.